This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Guys, we are here for one purpose, Elevate! Jesus! One purpose, Elevate! That's why we're here. We're here to elevate him. Now, I want you to know ahead of time before we even start tonight that I've been told by three or four people, Dom, you need to be careful with this series because you're going to go over their heads. But I got to be honest with you. We just spent eight weeks talking about teenagers getting a bad rap and that you had the ability to do, to absorb, to pursue so much more than what society has believed of you. I've not become a youth pastor because I believe that you're incapable of grasping the deeper truths of what we're going to chase. So if you have something to write with, you better get ready. And if you start missing notes and everything, you can go to iloveelevate.com. You can download all the notes that I'm looking at. If you start missing some of the cool quotes or something like that, I want you to know again, before we jump in that basically I am regurgitating someone much smarter and wiser than me. This is from a series called the attributes of God by Stephen J. Lawson, which is also in the notes. If you want to look that up at some point. Moses had brought Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And by the power of God, through a pillar of fire by by night and a cloud during the day, came to Sinai. And God's presence, his manifest presence, in one little pinpoint on earth over this mountain, descended. And it descended as cloud and fire. And it was so strong that the earth quaked and the people were terrified of this God that they have seen up on this mountain. They've come from Egypt where all these little gods, the sun God and the river God and the alligator God and all these kinds of gods were worshipped. And they had never seen a God manifest his presence in power before. And here he is, Yahweh, self-proclaimed on this mountain, quaking in front of them. And his presence is so holy that if anyone was to approach the mountain, they would die. And God calls Moses up to see him. And Moses gets into the presence of God, the presence that's so thick, the glow that is so bright that it it turns his own skin luminous, that when Moses eventually does come back down, his skin is glowing. And he's up and he's in the presence of God and he makes a request That is profound, and it should become the request of our hearts. And if it hasn't been so far, may it begin tonight for you. He says, oh, Yahweh, my God, may I see your face. May I know you. And God responds, anyone who sees my face will die, but I will place you into a cave. I'll cover it with my hand, and I'll pass by, and I'll remove my hand, and you can see my back. Literally translated, it means the after effects of my presence. God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical form. And so Moses would see God in a way that no one else had experienced him before. And at the end of Moses' life, Moses, as he's writing to the people in Deuteronomy, some of his last words were, 
crying out to God, saying, God, I have not yet begun to know you. Moses, who had known God more than probably anybody else, arguably in the Bible, up to the point of Jesus, when the disciples met him face to face. And he would say, I've only begun this journey. Elevate. I want to begin a journey. And I'll be honest with you, over the next weeks, as we dig into the attributes of God, none of these are things that, at the end of the sermon, as book ends, well, now I understand everything there is on that topic. Every one of these is just crossing the starting line. And it's up to you for the rest of your life to pursue God. Every one of these attributes that we're going to talk about, we're only talking about one tonight. Every one of these, you can spend the rest of your life contemplating and meditating on. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians, he opens up, I'd like to open with this quote by him, and this is probably one you'll hear every week. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because how we view God will reflect in how we live our lives. Is God a senile old man who kind of cranked up the universe and set it going. He hasn't been quite in contact since. Is God Santa Claus that just sort of hangs around to answer prayers? Who you see God as will affect everything else about you. It will make the difference between whether you live your life for yourself or you lay your life on the altar to be a total sacrifice to him. It will come down to how you view him. And I can promise you this, none of us in this room have a view of God that is big enough, that is great enough, and that is awesome enough. We are all trying to put God in a box. But, oh, what fun it'll be over these next weeks as we begin to stretch our brains to see a greater view of God. There's a story of one of the great theologians 1,600 years ago, and he set out to write a book about the Trinity. He felt like there was so much discussion, people trying to wrap their minds around the subject. And he took a walk. He got fed up and took a walk along the seashore. And as he's walking along the seashore and he's trying to contemplate how he's going to put into words the greatness of God, he sees a little boy who had taken a seashell and he had dug a hole in the sand and he was running into the seaside. He was taking a a seashell of water and running back to the hole and putting it in the hole. And Augustine was like, what's going on? So he goes over and he says, young man, what are you doing? And he says, sir, I intend to empty the sea into that hole. He's like, what? That's, that's ridiculous. The sea is so vast and the hole is so small. And that's when it clicked for Augustine that we are just mere people. And our brains are so small. And we're trying to comprehend. We're trying to download something that is infinitely more vast into our minds. But elevate Let's begin a journey of one seashell at a time of comprehending our God. We will never fully comprehend him, but we can stand in awe of his awesome majesty, overwhelmed by his unfathomable character. And we can shout it from our innermost selves. Psalm 113, 2 through 6. Listen to this. I hope our spirits are crying this out. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. 
That is the personal name that he gave to Moses. And anytime in your Bibles that you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the interpreter's way of writing into English Y-H-W-H, which is the name of Yahweh. So as you're going through your Old Testament, you realize that God's name in there is a whole lot. Psalm 113, 2 through 6. Blessed be the name of Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Yahweh is high above the nations and his glory is above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He's not just above the earth. He's not just above our galaxy. He's not just above our universe. He has to look far down to see the universe. Who is like our God? There is no subject that our mind can imagine which is greater or higher than the study of God. And the study of God is called theology. Anytime you pursue him, when you think about him, when you want to know him more, you're a theologian. Welcome to the clan. There is no truth more mind-expanding, no truth more heart-filling and life-changing than who our God is. I want to read this quote. Bear with me. The English is a little bit old. Old English. But try to wrap your mind around what is being said, because this is just sums up such beauty about this pursuit that we're taking on. Let's put that up. Charles Spurgeon. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, we can, we can track and we can wrestle with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and we go our way with the thought, behold, I'm wise, I've got that figured out. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line, the plumb line was how you measured whether a wall was straight, and they would use them to see how deep water was. They'd lower this weight on a string to see how deep the water is. Finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. When we try to grasp how big our God is, we have to accept the humble position of, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnifies the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. The truth is, all of us have an idea of God that is too small. But we can begin somewhere. The higher our theology, the higher we, our view of God is, the greater our worship will be. Think about that. The higher your view is of God, the more profound and dedicated and genuine your worship of him will be. If you're, yeah, thank you. If you're floating around during worship and your, your mind is wandering, you don't really understand much, you're more thinking about what's going on, it's because you haven't gotten a glimpse of God in a while. If as you're going throughout your day, 
the way you talk to people isn't an act of worship. If as you're going through your day, your choice to serve him with your morality, with the way that you act and the way that you love, if that's not worship, then you haven't gotten a glimpse of God in a while. Because the greater and the higher your view is of him, the greater your worship will be. If you have a high view of God, you will have a very holy living. If you have a very low view of God, then your living will be wicked, selfish, and only in your self-interest. How we live our lives as Christians will begin with how we view our Creator. It determines how we think, how we believe, how we act, how we perceive ourselves, and how we see our purpose in life. When it comes, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And you know what's dangerous is we can't really grow if we have a misinterpretation of God. If God is just sitting around to be your genie in a bottle, then you're not going to grow as a believer. If God is just somewhere else and he's not terribly interested in how you live or how you worship or what's going on with you, you're not going to grow very well. Having an accurate view and understanding and knowledge of God is going to give you the freedom and the launch pad to pursue a life of holiness and to pursue his presence, to know him. The knowledge of his attributes that we're studying is the lens through which we process every other aspect of our life. I hope that you're forced to wrestle with your current understanding of your life. Perhaps instead of giving you a different filter to see life through, maybe it'll pull away some filters that you didn't know were there. And as we have some that are hard to accept, we are going to talk about some qualities of God that are hard to accept. I, I lost probably three or four hours of sleep last night wrestling, like, Lord, how can I present this? That's coming in a couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know. I was almost in tears in Pastor Matt's office. Like, I don't know how to share this in a way that honors God and in a way that reveals his goodness. We're going to wrestle with things that are hard to accept, but I hope that as we approach them, they'll have the ring of truth in your heart, that something in your spirit will shout, yes, yes, this is it. This is what I've been craving. But if God is so grand, if he's so big, if he's so other, technically the word is transcendent, how can we, very temporary human mortals with nothing more than our five senses to process life, how can we know him? And that's where, that's where things get really, really beautiful. It's because your creator loved you so much that even though he was here and we were down here, he would reveal himself to us. It's called his self-revelation. He would have to take the step towards us, a step that we can never make. Our God loved us so much. He was so interested in you that he would make the step to close the distance. And he did it through three things. He reveals himself through his scripture. He reveals himself through the life of Jesus Christ. And he reveals himself through the work of Jesus Christ. And these three things are what he has given us. And if people try to come to you and say, well, there's other ways of knowing God, you need to put that in check quickly 
before you just take it on board. Because those are the three sound things that we can always come back to that God has revealed himself through. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture, what is it? It is breathed. It is the very breath of God to us. Colossians 1, 15, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. You want to know who God is? You take a look at Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll believe. And Jesus goes, don't you realize I've been with you this whole time? The scriptures, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And then at the cross, we see God's attributes come colliding together. How God is a God of justice against sin, of wrath against all unrighteousness. And yet he's full of love and mercy and grace for his people. And they beautifully are expressed at the cross of Jesus Christ. These are the attributes of God that we get to study. And with these three forms of revelation, we'll look at 14 things. And these are not the limits by any means. I actually condensed some of them down, and I'm sure there's things that I haven't even considered. But here you go. These are the things that we're studying over the next five or six weeks. The aseity of God, that's his self-existence. The immutability of God, that he is unchanging. The sovereignty of God, that he is in control. The omnipresence of God, he is everywhere. The omnipotence of God, he is all-powerful the omniscience of God, that he is all-knowing, the wisdom of God, his truthfulness, goodness, love, grace, holiness, justice, and wrath. I'm kind of sad wrath is at the end. It's one of my favorite topics. Each of these attributes, and you need to understand this, each of these attributes is completely bled into every other attribute. None of them conflict with each other. You may look up there and say, how could his wrath and how could his mercy coincide? And I'm telling you, they are beautifully intertwined. Every attribute rolls into and expresses every other attribute. And you know what? We're not going to understand all of these fully. We're just that kid taking a spoon of water and dropping it into the hole, which is our mind one little seashell at a time. So I've got a Surgeon General's warning for you. You know, like they put on the back of cigarettes. Surgeon General's warning, the bigger your view of God becomes, the smaller your view of yourself will be. Careful, because as we keep going, the bigger your view of God is, the smaller your view of yourself will be. You're going to realize that in the big scheme of things, the only reason that you have significance is that your God of all significance has turned the spotlight of his attention on you out of his great love. But we're going to start off at the infinitesimal level of who is like you are God. We are just dirt compared to you in this vast universe that you've made. Are you ready to begin? We're going to try to cover two or three of these every week. We're only doing one this week since my introduction is so long. Buckle up. The aseity of God means that this is his self-existence. He didn't come from anywhere. He was not created, born, or birthed of any kind. And he doesn't need anything. He is whole and complete in himself. God, actually, let's start a trend. I think that when we're at Elevate, 
We should give proper due to the word God since it gets thrown around so much. People stub their toe and say God and all sorts of things. I think we should start a new trend. I think God should be in all caps from now on. And I think when we say God, we should actually say God. Let's do this together. Ready? One, two, three. God. Because he is big. He is, he is more worthy than any other word in, in our vocabulary. He is God. Did y'all do it with me? I was so loud I didn't hear you over me. He is God. Beautiful. All right. So God has all life in himself. He's not dependent on anyone or anything. We as his creatures are entirely, completely, hopelessly dependent on him. The life we have both physically and spiritually has been derived from him. But God does not derive life from anyone or anything else. He is completely self-sufficient. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, at the state of beginningness, as far back as you can possibly imagine, there was already God. Before creation, God was already in existence. Revelation 4.8, the angels are around his throne and all that they can do in his presence as seeing him is to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. He always was in that direction. He is and he always will be in that direction. How many of us have said to ourselves, well, when did God begin? I can't imagine a, a, an eternity going that way. We all had a beginning. You can check your birth certificate to find out the general time that you did. You look at your birth certificate, you add nine months, boom, that was your beginning. But God has no beginning. There was never a time when God did not exist. Psalm 93.2, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting to everlasting. Micah 5.2, and he's talking about Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, and it talks about him saying, whose coming forth is from old, from the days of eternity. Jesus himself, Jesus who is the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and through him all things were made. Jesus stepped out of eternity into our timeline as God. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. I don't know, this helped me, so I pass it on to you. If anything exists, then something has always existed. If there was not ever absolutely nothing, then nothing could possibly be now. Did y'all follow that? If there was ever absolutely nothing, then nothing could possibly be now. Because you cannot get something out of nothing. Conversely, if there is something now, then that in and of itself demonstrates that there was always something. And that which always exists in and of itself, that is the one who has the power of being within himself, the living God. Did y'all follow that? You want to try to break that down to like Dom's terms? Dom's terms is, if there exists anything now, then there must have always been something. And the opposite is true. If there was ever a time that there was absolutely nothing, then there would still be nothing now. So if there ever was a something before there... Are you following me? That would have to be someone, something that is complete within its being, and that is our living God. 
in the beginning, God. God is uncreated. He is uncaused. He is the uncreated creator. He is self-existent. A.W. Pink, funny name. There was a time. I'll start over again. You with me? There was a time, if time it could be called, when God, in the unity of his nature, those subsisting equally in three divine persons, boy, the Trinity, that'll blow your mind. If you want to hear more on the Trinity, you can go check out The Son of Righteousness. It's a series we did a while back, week one. We wrestled with the Trinity. Lots of fun. Your brain will hurt. He dwelt all alone. In the beginning, God. There was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels to hymn his praises. No universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one but God. And that, not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. During eternity past, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside of himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. For he works all things after the counsel of his will that he did create was simply for his manifested glory. Anybody's brain smoking yet? Do we need to get a fire extinguisher for you? He didn't create because he needed us. There was nothing in him that felt lonely. He is the Trinity. He was totally self-sufficient. Total aseity. And yet, out of his sovereign will and for nothing more than his own glory and pleasure, he chose to create. So that everything that is created, everything that is created is meant to be a testimony to him. Has the purpose of giving him glory. There's a story about Michelangelo. Have you seen his beautiful work called La Pieta? It's about Mary holding the body of Jesus. It's carved out of marble, and it's exquisite. And it captures the emotion of a mother holding her son who's been crucified. And Michelangelo, just by tradition, never signed any of his works. Until one day, he heard a family walking past the Pieta, and he hears them ascribe that beautiful masterpiece of his to a different artist of his time. And after they left, he quickly went over and he inscribed his name on it. The master of masters, the greatest artist that we could possibly imagine has created for a single purpose. And that purpose is that everything points back to him as the master architect. Are you following me? Elevate. Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There are no renegade atoms in the universe. He holds it all together. Romans 11.36, From him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be 
glory forever. Look at these three things. Is that verse still up there? Here we go. He is the source of everything. He is the means of everything, holding it together. And he is the goal and purpose of all things. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Feeling a little overwhelmed yet? You guys good? I'm seeing like a kind of a cloud of, of brain smoke a little bit. You guys with me? Not with me if you're like, yes. All right. I hope that this will bring a humility as you recognize the distance between God and me. And you. Because he's self-existent, he doesn't depend on anyone or any source for his existence. All, pay attention, life comes from himself. The basis of our life comes solely from him. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus is speaking, I am the resurrection and the life. Acts 17, 28, in him we live, move, and have our being. Therefore, if you have God, you have, you're not paying attention, Elevate. In him is life. In him we live and move and have our being. If we have God, we have Thank you. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the difference between, between those who pursue him and those who reject him. Because if you do not have God, you do not have. And so the word became flesh and showed himself to us through the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And as you read through the book of John, Jesus equates light and dark. He equates light to eternal life. Anytime you see a play between light and dark in John, you know Jesus is talking about salvation because salvation isn't a prayer. Salvation isn't doing a bunch of good stuff. Salvation is knowing God because if you know God, you know. Good job, guys. Our most joyful and peaceful moments will be when we meditate, worship, and take pleasure in him because that's what we're created to do. Maybe some of you guys were pretty sure that your life was for you. Maybe you're pretty sure that life was just about making as much money as you can, looking as good as you can, having as many friends as you can, having that career you always wanted. Maybe you were really certain that you were born and created for yourself. I've got big news. It's a little bit crushing to our ego. It's a little bit smushing to our pride. And that is you are created with a single purpose, and that is to only give glory to God. And when you do, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you spend your life pursuing knowing him more, you will experience peace. 
you will experience joy in a way that the world will never understand because you are finally lining up to be who God has created you to be. 1 Corinthians 8.6 There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Everything he created was for his pleasure and glory. Have you looked at the stars? Every one of them, they're up there going, just beaming all they can to give him glory. Every time the earth quakes, anytime you see a bird chasing a hawk away, everything that you see when you look around, when you see a mother's love, when you see a friend's compassion, everything is for his glory. And the difference is, do you see it? Elevate, have you been living what you were created for? If not, you may feel an emptiness or a purposelessness. It's because you're not doing what you were created to do. Like a telescope being used as a hammer, you were created to look up, to stand in awe, to study and worship what is greater than you. But you spend your days self-centeredly looking down and driving nails. The repeated blows have cracked your lenses, misaligned your mirrors, and when you look through the the viewer, you only see blackness, and you just assume you must be a hammer. You are created with a very clear purpose. And when we spend our lives selfishly looking inward, then it's just like that telescope with that broken lens all of a sudden, it gets really hard and dark to see God. And what we are doing in Elevate over these next weeks, when we study the aseity of God, when we study the immutability and his grace and his love and his omnipotence, we are polishing up some mirrors and we are correcting some lenses so that we can see him more clearly versus the daily smacking of our heads against the wall of living for ourselves. What do we have that we owe him. What of ours belongs to him? (laughs) I think you already know what my answer is. We owe him everything. That's not my answer. That's the scripture. All we have is from him, it's through him, and it's for him. All we are is created by him and therefore created for the purpose of his glory. And to depart from that purpose is to be a telescope acting like a hammer. You still with me, Elevate? All right, quick recap. So, what comes into our minds when we think about God is God is the most important thing about us. The greater our view of God, the more genuine and perpetual our worship will be. Out of his grace and for his glory only, he has revealed himself to us. God is self-sufficient, eternally exists, and has all life in himself. He created out of his sovereign will for his pleasure. All he creates is created for his glory, and we are created for nothing less than to give him glory. If you have not turned your life to God yet, oh, what a beautiful decision that could be to give your life to someone who sees more than you do, 
who has a purpose that is bigger than you do, who has a purpose for you that is for your good and for his glory, elevate, dedicate your life to Christ. Go home and confess your sins to him. Confess that you're a sinner. Tell him that you believe that Jesus is his son, that was God in flesh, and that he died on a cross for your sin. And he rose from the grave three days later to seal it in heaven that you belong to him. Oh, what a glorious life to serve our king, our God. So here's your challenge for this week. Your challenge is to have at least one Bible study with someone else. It doesn't have to be someone in this room. It could be someone that you know that goes to Elevate regularly or hasn't been here in a while. It could be someone that you know from a different church, different youth group. It could just be someone totally random. I mean, like, grab a hobo, have a Bible study, but here's your challenge. Have one, at least one Bible study this week. After you finish reading some of the Bible, some of Scripture, I want you to ask the question, what can I learn? What can we, because you're doing it with somebody, what can we learn about God from these Scriptures? Continue to pursue Him to know him more. His scriptures are his self-revelation. Every time you read, no matter how crazy it is, ask the question, what can I learn about God from this? And I think you'll be shocked to start finding some of the attributes that we're going to talk about. All right, so Elevate, I'm putting you on the spot because I love you. Who is going to commit with me to have a Bible study with somebody else this week and ask that question? Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Those of you who don't have your hand up, thank you for being honest. We're not judging you, maybe a little. We love you. Rabid flamingos may come after you this week. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you just gave your life to Jesus recently. If you don't have a Bible, please come see me. I will give you a Bible. They're nice Bibles. Heavenly Father, you are God. Lord, I pray that as our view of you increases, Lord, who will be put into our place, that our view of ourselves would be rapidly diminished. Lord, stretch our brains and fill our hearts. Who is like you? Oh, Lord, our God. There is no one. You are high above the heavens and the earth. You are unchanging, unmovable, self-sufficient. All life is in you. And there are no renegade atoms in this universe. You are in control. Heavenly Father, we give this week to you. We surrender. And I pray, Lord, that as your men and women of God in here begin to pursue you outside of Wednesday night, that when they open up the scriptures and they begin to read, that they will start getting glimpses of who you are. Motivate them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that who they ask will say yes. And if they say no, they will continue to ask until they get a yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you, Elevate. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.